Thank you. Okay, so as advertised, we're going to try and finish Luke 15. Mike said this morning, come back for the other half of the story. And I think I said about 10% of what I wanted to say this morning. So let's see if we can get another 10 in at least. Huh? Okay, so it looked like most of you were here this morning, yeah? So I don't want to redo everything that I did this morning. I'm going to trust that you play catch-up. If you weren't here this morning, we read Luke 15 and the highlights real quick. Uh, Charles Dickens says, the story of the prodigal son, the greatest story ever written. I I think this is one of the greatest chapters in Scripture. Uh, I I don't want to elevate it above any other chapter. Genesis 22, the gospel in advance. Luke 15, the gospel in a nutshell. Uh, um, R.T. Kendall says this. He says that a parable is a simple story that conveys a powerful truth. And we understand this, that the page breaks, the chapter breaks, all of that are man-made. And we saw in verse 2 this morning that it says Jesus turned and told them this parable, single parable that comes at us in three parts. Yeah? The prodigal of the lost sheep, the prodigal of the lost coin, and the prodigal of the two lost sons. One lost through rebellion, one lost through self-righteousness. Yeah? And we said the whole message of Luke 15 this morning, Rembrandt's painting that he painted, historians tell us in the last two years of his life, the return of the prodigal. I think he had some divine revelation of the story. You can't, I don't think you can just read the story and paint that painting. I think there's divine revelation there. But uh, uh, where was I going? The key truth, right? A simple story that conveys a powerful truth. In all three portions of that parable, there's something that's lost. But the key thing that Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to understand, because something is lost, does not mean its value is diminished in any way. Right? So the lost sheep is still a sheep, the lost coin is still a coin, and the lost sons are still sons. Their value is not diminished. They are simply lost or simply out of position. Are you doing all right? We said this morning that that was a, a message for the church. I think it's a message that the church needs to understand. As I said this morning, if we think we are more loved, that the, God, that the Father values us more because of what we do or because we show up here on a Sunday morning than somebody that woke up this morning with a needle in our arm. That's the pharisaical attitude that Jesus was going after. And the church needs to defeat that. The church needs to continue to tear that thing down. The truth is this, if you have a broad swipe of the Gospels, Jesus hangs out with racial outcasts, the Samaritan woman. He hangs out with sexual outcasts, the prostitute. He hangs out with all of these people that for the most part would not or could not show up in most, most churches in North America. And if they can't, it's because of that pharisaical attitude. Yeah. And maybe the, maybe the problem is on their side. Maybe they think they can't. And I've had those conversations I've got tattoos, and I look like I look. If you ask Tyron, he'll tell you never to try and get through an airport security line with me. (laughs) When we travel with Tyron, he's like, okay, you go down that line, I'm going down this line. Don't look at me, don't talk to me, don't tell anybody. If they ask you if you're traveling on your own, say yes. Don't tell them you're traveling with me. I'll see you in Starbucks. Most of the time, he's on his second latte before I clear (laughs) 
Security is just one of those things. I don't know if they... It's just... Uh, so, so I get it. And so it, the, the cool thing is I can have those conversations with people, right? Because when I, have, when I meet somebody, let me just tell you now, when I meet somebody for the first time, it takes me a long time to convince them that I actually really am a pastor. <laughs> so I get in conversations with sinful lost people much easier than most people I know because they think I'm one of them. <laughs> the flip side is also true. If I'm walking down the sidewalk and there's a street evangelist, he makes a beeline for me, man. He's like... <laughs> I'm going to get this heathen saved, you know, so. But I, I have a lot of conversations with people like this, and, and I want to tell you that the, the, sometimes the problem is theirs. D- just being honest. Sometimes the problem is ours, but sometimes the problem is theirs, and they perceive the church in a certain way. But if that's true, they got that perception from somewhere. Are you doing okay? You know, Boulder, we live quite close to Boulder. I promise you I'm going to get to Luke 15, right? We live quite close to Boulder, and Boulder's a really weird place, and uh, they, we, we've got these kids these days, I, I think they call them travelers, I guess in our days we would have called them hippies, apparently you're not supposed to call them that anymore. It's amazing that even those kind of things have become politically correct, right? You have to call people certain things. But these guys are travelers, you know, and so they're kids and they travel around the world, and they look homeless, they're just traveling with a backpack and whatever they've got on their back. And they hit all these hotspots. And where we do some ministry in the deep south of, of Mexico uh, in a state called Chiapas, uh, there's, a, there's a church there, an old Catholic church, the oldest Catholic church in, in Central America. And that's another hotspot for these travelers. So I'm just giving you a context. They really do. They, tra- they hit all these hotspots. And Boulder is one of these hotspots. And so it's, so it's so funny sometimes to, for me to go walk through Boulder and sometimes I'm with pastors or, or friends of mine that are in the ministry and then we'll walk past these kids and I will really make an effort to engage these kids, particularly if there's one or, or one or two of them on their own. When it's a group, it's a little bit more difficult. When there's one or two of them on their own, I'll just go sit down next to them and go, hey, bud, what's going on? And often, often my pastor friends ask me this, why would you do that? Why, why, why would you do that? And there's a simple answer to this, that that kid is somebody's son. He's somebody's son, or that's somebody's daughter. And if that was my son, that, that testimony that was just shared, if that was my son, if my son had walked away from the Lord and walked away from me and found himself in that place, I would be praying that there would be somebody that would just sit down next to him just for a moment, just treat him with a little bit of dignity, just treat him like a human being, just treat him like he is somebody's son and say, are you doing okay, boy? I'm waiting for this moment. It hasn't happened yet. I'm waiting for this moment. Because I sit with them and I try and engage with them and I shared a little bit of my testimony last night. I did that for about nine months in Europe. I, I told people, people talk about what their low point was in life. I know what my low point was in life. My low point was stealing food from a homeless man. That's how hungry I was. I, I get those kids. I was there. And I tell them that story. And I tell them about some of that stuff. And then I just ask them, are you doing Okay. And I'm waiting for the moment. It hasn't happened yet. But I'm waiting for the moment where one of those kids says to me, you know what, so actually I'm not. Could you help me call my dad? 
Could you help me get home? I'm waiting. It's going to happen one day. How on earth did we get there? Hopefully that was for somebody. Luke 50, oh, that was the point, right? Because something's out of position. It's not devalued. The son is still a son. The son is still a son. That kid that's lost or on drugs or traveling or run away from home, he's still somebody's son. Nothing can ever change that. Yeah? That was the lesson for us this morning, right? And so we're going to skip ahead. And we're going to skip ahead to... Just a particular part. I told you we're going to look at this thing about the flawed return policy. And you've got Costco. Yeah, we've got Costco. People shop at Costco in America because of the return policy. Now listen, that's a, that's a strange thing for us coming from South Africa because there's no such thing as a return policy in South Africa. <laughs> if you got home and opened the box and it was broken and took it back to the store and said, I opened this thing, it was broken, they'll tell you, you shouldn't have taken the broken one. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Buy another one if you want another one. No such thing as a return policy in South Africa. And so we, we, people buy things at Costco because they can take them back. Now, like everything, there's an abuse to that. And I've got a buddy of mine that takes stuff back to Costco that he never bought at Costco. I've got another buddy of mine that went away on vacation. When he got to where he was going, he'd booked this, uh, uh, him and uh, two couples, they, they had booked this, uh, this week vacation home. And when they got there, they realized it's going to rain the whole week. So he went to Costco, bought an Xbox. They played the Xbox for the week. At the end of the week, took the Xbox back to Costco. Said, I don't want it no more. I'm not, I'm not saying any of those things are right. I'm just saying we love a good return policy. But the sun has got a flawed return policy. Now this morning was about the church about how we should see lost, hurt, broken people. This evening is about how we respond as sons and daughters to our Heavenly Father. Are you doing okay? So let's pick up here. We're not going to worry about all the stuff about uh, the wild living and the severe famine. We're going to come down to verse 17, and it says this, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be son, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Did you see the fault? Did you see the son's fault? Did you see the son's flaw? Because he starts off brilliantly. He's in this place and he's struggling and he says, I'm going to go back to my father. And we said that this morning. That is the absolute truth. That relationship can be distorted. It can be tarnished, but it can never be destroyed. It can never be non-existent. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to go back to my father. 
And here comes the flaw. Here comes the flaw. He says, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, make me like one of your hired men. That's the flaw. And remember what we said this morning. We said wealth in those days took generations to build. Wealth took generations to build. Not the dot-com era where you can make a couple of million dollars by clicking the mouse, buying and selling shares. That was hard work. It was built and established over generations. And the son has squandered this wealth. He's wasted his inheritance and his father's. He's cost this family a lot of money. And so here's the flaw. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say to my father, make me like one of your hired men. Now, there was a difference in those days between hired men. We can read it in Leviticus. There was a difference in those days between hired men and slaves. A slave was owned and he worked for nothing. A hired man was somebody in general that had some skills. And he worked for the family. And he worked for a wage. Can you see the flaw? The son's coming back. And he's coming back with this shame and this weight and this guilt. And he's saying, I'm going to ask my father... Listen carefully now, because some of you do this. I'm going to ask my father for a way to pay off my debt. Can you see the flaw? There's a flaw in that policy, friends. There's an absolute flaw. Because Jesus hangs on the cross and he says this, it is finished. Now that's a cool word, but it's a weak word. Because what that word actually means is that it is completely complete. There's not a single thing you or I can do to add to our salvation. There's not a single thing we can do to earn our salvation. There's not a single thing we can do to add to our salvation. Are you doing okay? So here comes the son and he goes, okay, I'm going to go back to my father. And he understands that this relationship is still intact. He understands the relationship is still intact, but how he wants to restore that relationship is I'm going to crawl and I'm going to earn and I'm going to pay off my debt. Cannot impossible be done. Because why? He started in the right place. I'm going to go back to my father. I want to tell you, friends, in the kingdom of God, in the household of our heavenly father, there are no servants that are trying to earn and serve and crawl their way back into sonship or daughterhood. It cannot be done. Impossible. It cannot be done. Impossible. And we see that sometimes. As we saw that in the early days of our marriage. I've, I've got a different, you know, I, I, I told you this morning, and I honestly mean that. I, I'm not trying to be funny about it. At the age of 20, when I got saved at the age of 25, there was not one single redeemable quality about me. I wasn't good. I wasn't kind. I wasn't pleasant to be around. I was, I was a loner. I carried anger from my relationship with my dad. I spoke about that a little bit last night. I carried so much anger from my relationship with my dad. Got in fights all the time. Uh, there was not one single redeemable quality about me. And yet in that place, God poured out his love and his mercy and his grace. I wasn't even looking for God. I was a happy sinner. Loved my sin. Was making money off my sin. And in that place, God pours out his grace on me. And I didn't have to earn it. In fact, I know this, I absolutely did not earn it. I was trying to do the exact opposite of earn it. 
But in that place, God pours out his love on me. And I understood that. That was a deep, deep revelation for me. In the instant that I got saved, Sandy grew up a little bit different, got saved at the age of 15. She was a good girl. She got saved. And there was this thing in the, in the early days of our marriage where if there was something that happened between us and she said, I'm sorry about that, my babe, I'll try not to do that again. And I understand this love and grace. I'm not trying to make myself out to be the hero of the story. I'm just telling you, I had a revelation of grace. She would say, I'm sorry, my babe, and I'd say, that's okay. And I meant it. And she'd start cleaning. She'd start vacuuming. I'm like, what are you doing? Just trying to earn her way back just trying to prove to me that she's still worthy to be my wife. And I would just have to say to you, you need to stop that right now. There's nothing you can do that would make you more of a wife to me and there's nothing you can do to make you less of a wife to me. And let me tell you, that's true of our sonship. That's true of our sonship. I, I've, got, I've got four kids, but my, my two boys, 18 and 20, they are, they are wild Wild boys. That's just the way I like it. Sandy always tells me this house is so quiet when you're not here. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, we, we, and I live, to, I live to, there's a couple of things that we did as parents. I always said this, a little bit of wildfire is better than no fire. And I've lived with some of the consequences of that. And uh, we, we had this thing with my boys, if, you, if it was naughty, I'm not talking about rebellion, but if it was naughty and you could make it funny, you might get away with it. <laughs> and so my kids do naughty things in a funny way, and I'm lying on the floor laughing. And my buddies are over there going, aren't you going to do anything about that? I'm like, nah, it's funny. <laughs> so I've lived that consequence with my boys, right? But, but the... There's, there's not, you know, there's, there's nothing those kids can do to make them less sons of mine. If they moved to the other side of the world, the other side, a different hemisphere, and changed their names, and changed everything about themselves, if you put a needle in my arm and draw DNA and put a needle in their arm and draw DNA, they're going to say these two things are connected. And there's nothing that they can do to make those two things more connected. That's our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we do live in the liberty of that and the freedom of that. That's the revelation that the son has. That's his duh moment. Duh. I'm going to go back to my dad. Duh. Guess what? He's still my dad. I've acted like a complete jack wagon. Is that a... Canadian, you understand that? Some of, some of you thought that word was going to end differently, right? I've acted like a complete jack wagon. And I wished my father dead. Give me my inheritance. It's like saying, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I'm going to go live in a distant country. Now I'm going to go live as if you're dead. But when the chips are down, duh. Duh. I'm going to go back to my father. And that's different from just saying, listen, dude, there's, there's some rough stuff here. I'm a little Jewish boy living in a pig pen. I'm not supposed to have anything to do with pigs. I'm living with them. I'm going to go find a father. Completely different. 
He understands that relationship cannot be destroyed. But the flaw is this. I'm going to earn my way back. You do not right tonight. His sin is not about wasting money or about disobeying the rules. It's about a broken relationship. And he comes here and he says this. He goes, I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I'm sorry, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he's trying to manipulate or cause his father to give him a chance to earn his way back. He rejected sonship once. When he does this, give me my inheritance. I wish you were dead. He's rejecting sonship. And the way that he's coming back, although he starts off with the right heart, I'm going to go back to my father. The way he's coming back, I'm going to earn my way back. He's rejecting sonship again. And he doesn't understand it yet. He doesn't get it yet. He rejected sonship once and he's rejecting it again. But the father sees him coming and runs to him, races to him, and kisses him again and again and again. That's what that translation really should say. Kissed him. Been waiting for you, my boy. And the son starts his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And he doesn't get to them, make me like one of your hired men. Because at that point, the father is screaming at the servants, quick! Put a ring on his finger. Put the robe on him. Stop there. He looks like a slave. He's come home in slave clothes. I cannot stand one more second of my son looking like a slave. Put that robe back on him. Put that identity back on him. Make him look like my boy again. Just receive that right now. Because there's some of you, the Spirit of God came on you. As I said, they just received that right now. Just receive. Don't be embarrassed. Just close your eyes. If God's touching you, close your eyes. And just receive that. Receive that identity as a son or a daughter of the king right now. Where you sit. This is a spiritual transaction. This is a spiritual truth. If there's nothing you can do to make you more of a son or more of a daughter, there's certainly nothing I can do for you to make you more of a son or more of a daughter. You just have to receive this revelation by the Spirit of God this morning, this evening. That's it. Just take it. Quick. Quick. Not one more second. Not one more second. I'm asking you this evening, friends, do not try this for one more second. Do not try and earn God's favor for one more second. Don't try and earn something that you already have by decree of your heavenly Father. Just receive. Just receive. Allow your heavenly Father to speak over you. Quick. Quick. Give him the ring. Put your robe on him. Put your robe on her. See, I want to say this to you, friends. Just close your eyes there where where you're seated. Just receive this. Just receive this. I'm going to use some words here. If if these words get past you, come and see me afterwards. Because 
God is immutable. His love for us will never change. Because God is omnipotent, His love for you is all-powerful. Because God is omniscient, means He loves you and I in spite of the fact that He knows everything about us. There's not a single thing about you or I, past, present, or future, that God does not know. Because God is omnipresent, His love for us is everywhere, all at the same time, and always sufficient for every situation. I have to understand the heart of the Father, and when I do, I can understand my position as a son. I have to understand the heart of the Father. Receive the freedom. Receive that freedom this evening, friends. Some of you, God is speaking to you right now. You know what? There's more stuff in my notes, but let's, let's just pause here for a moment. Just receive. Maybe you feel like you've let God down. Maybe you feel like you've let God down. Maybe you feel like you've really let him down. It's still not enough for you to be any less a son or a daughter. But maybe you're here and you feel like, man, if I could just do this, if I could just do that, then God would really love me. I want to tell you that's a lie from Satan. That's an absolute lie from the pit of hell. And you need to be liberated this evening. Liberated. Just receive. Just receive. Just receive. There's nothing else. That's it, it's done. Liberty, liberty and freedom tonight, Father, over your daughter in Jesus' name. Liberty and freedom, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, my God. Not one more second, Lord. Not one more second. The cry of heaven over you tonight is quick. 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 I just feel like there's a word here tonight, especially for some of the ladies. We live under this false thing of conditional love. We buy into the lie of the world that says if I'm pretty enough or skinny enough or smart enough. Guys have it too. 
and we let the enemy lie to us, then I'll be enough. Then I'll be good enough. I want to lift that off you tonight, ladies. I want to lift that off you tonight. I ask, Father, for the ladies in this room. Just receive, ladies. I ask for the women in this room, Lord, that tomorrow morning, when they look in the mirror, they see, you, they see themselves as you see them, Lord. They see themselves as daughters of the king. They see themselves as royal princesses. They see themselves as daughters in a royal household. They know they're enough. They know that they're enough. Thank you, my God. Lift every negative word, every negative word, Lord. Now in Jesus' name. Now in Jesus' name. Hold my hand. Hold my hand. Off now. Off, off, off. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Liberty and freedom, Father, for your sons and daughters. Liberty and freedom, Lord. That they are liberated from that idea that they have to earn or do or serve to make you love them. Lift it off them now, my God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Here's the trap of the enemy, friends. So the devil comes to Jesus and he says, if you the son of God, prove it. And he puts him through all of those tests. How, how is it that it's only the devil that asks Jesus to prove his sonship? How come God never asks him to prove his sonship? There's the answer for us right there, right? There's the answer. It's only the devil that says, you're a daughter of the king. Prove it. Show me. You're a son of God. You, you think you're a son in this household. Prove it. Earn it. Crawl. Serve. And God says, we spoke about that this morning. God, the Father, speaks over Jesus as he comes out of the Jordan. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And Jesus hasn't done a single blessed thing yet. And we struggled for eight years to have babies. Doctors told us we'd never have children. I'm telling you, when my son was born, when Blue was born, I did not know that I could love another human being like that. And what had he done for me? Mm -hmm. Not a whole lot. <laughs> Given me nine months where I couldn't cuddle my wife. Every time I put my arm around her, she's like, I'm hot, I'm uncomfortable, get off me. I should have already been mad with him. And then he gets a little bit older and he's peeing on me and pooping on me and I'm just like, this is my boy. What a stud. And done a single thing yet. Most selfish individual you've ever come across in your life. 
he don't care what you're doing. He don't care if you're sitting down for a meal. He don't care what you're doing. He wants food. He wants food now. He wants his diaper change. He wants it changed now. And he's going to let you know. And I'm like, what a man. He's done nothing yet. That's how Heavenly Father feels over us, friends. I don't have to do a single thing. It's only the enemy that asked me to prove it. Can you imagine me for blue at six months old going, you think you're my boy? Let me see something. Two years old. Okay, bud, you've got to do that all over again. Ten years old? Ah, not sure. Puberty? Okay, now this is really going to be a problem. Now you're going to have to show me something. Could you imagine that? Now listen, I know there are fathers that are like that, right? But not a heavenly father. Not a heavenly father. Never asked us to prove a single thing. The only thing that is proved is his love for us. That's proved in the cross. The greatest demonstration of love. Cost him everything and cost us nothing. And paid for everything all at our expense. And we did nothing to deserve it. Paid for everything. Rose again on the third day to prove. If you're writing, stop writing. Look at me. Jesus rose on the third day to prove that the sacrifice was sufficient and the wrath of God was fully satisfied. God will never be angry with us ever again, friends. That's good news. No good news right there. God will never be angry with us again. God will never ask us to prove anything to him. God will never require us to prove our sonship or our daughterhood in his household. That's good news. That's good news. All those other religions work like that. I've got to do all of these things to appease an angry God. But sometimes as believers we go, I've got to do all of, this, all of these things to win the favor of a benevolent God. Both are error. Both are error. Because there's nothing I can do to prove my sonship. There's nothing I can do to earn the favor of God over my life. Are you doing all right? Blue, I've got, I don't know where I am here. Blue's an amazing kid. He's 20 years old. Listen, he gets this. He lives in this thing. He, he lives this out. Because, you know, my, I've got strong boys, and so every now and then I, they, they, I do have to step up to them. And so there can be a thing, and we get in a real quick conflict, and, and Blue understands this. And he can just, and we can be like, hey, bud, and he's like, he's quick to apologize. So I'm, I'm getting in his face, and he'll just be like, oh, sorry, Dad. I won't do that again. It's like, how do you fight with a kid when he's just done? And he's like, oh, sorry, Dad. And he's a cute-looking kid too, so it's not hard, you know. So he's like, oh, sorry, Dad. And I'm like, oh, all right. And he goes, hey, can I have that 20 bucks we were talking about? And he just understands. There isn't like 
okay, now I disappointed my father. My dad was mad. Now there was this correction. Now I've got to do something to get back to where I was so he can give me what he said he was going to give me a week ago. Yeah, and he just goes, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, bro. How about that money? And for him, it's like it's linear. It's just like there's no like there. Now there has to be a time space because I disappointed my dad. But sometimes as believers, we live like that. Oh, gee, I disappointed the father. So now there's got to be a time space before I can get back to this. This is the trap of the enemy. My buddy, 34 years old. Father of four, three girls. Had waited a number of years to have a little boy. He had his little boy. Boy was nine months old. Came into the elders' meeting, into the staff meeting, and he said, Man, I just, I'm feeling drained. Can I have the weekend off? And I was on the eldership team, I wasn't leading the church. And the lead guy said, Yeah, sure, take the, take the weekend off. And on Sunday, just suffering with this headache, he went into the, into the hospital, and the, they said, We're going to run some tests, we're going to keep you overnight. Monday, we went around to see him, it was fine. We left the hospital, got a call about an hour later, you need to get back to the hospital. We got back to the hospital. They said he's got leukemia. By Monday night, he was in a coma. By Tuesday, he was brain dead. And on Wednesday, they switched the machines off. I'm, just, I'm, I'm not the hero of the story. I'm, just, I'm illustrating how the enemy lies to us. Now, I, I was... That, that was my good mate. And so I was at that hospital probably 21 hours out of 24 for all of those days. And it was a, it was a hard thing for me. And I, I, I'm a loner. Uh, I, I, I'm an extreme loner. I'm an extreme introvert. And I process differently. And all the elders said, we're going to get together to process. And I said, not me. And I walked into the bush. This is what the enemy said to me. You should have prayed more. Can you see the trap of the enemy? Because let me ask you this, how much is more? And that's what he puts on God's sons and daughters. You should do more. How much is more? And when I try to answer the enemy, and I said, I was there. 21 hours out of 24 for all three days of that ordeal. How much more? He said, not about those three days. You should have prayed more in the last 10 years. Can you see the unreasonableness of the enemy's attack against us, of saying, you do more, you should be more, you should do this, you should do that. It's an impossible task. And that's the lie that the devil puts on us. Not, I never felt one split second of angst from my heavenly father. Not one split second. Not one second did God the Father say to me, where were you when all that was going on? Why weren't you? Why didn't you? What about this? Are you doing all right tonight? How much is more? You should give more. How much is more? You should pray more. How much more? 
We can, we can never answer that question. We can never satisfy the enemy. We will never satisfy the enemy. But here's the good news. My heavenly father is already satisfied. Are you doing right tonight? Let's stand together. Flawed return policy. Make me like one of your hired men. Maybe I can earn my sonship. Maybe I can pay off my debt and earn my sonship. Maybe I can earn your favor as a daughter. prodigal son missed this and it wasn't about rules and regulations, it was about relationship that's what he missed and nothing could ever change that relationship but you see when we're in that place we become a little bit tone deaf we become a little bit tone deaf to the voice of our heavenly father we become a little bit deaf we miss the voice of love we must be in home, like the older brother in his self-righteousness. He says to his father, I've been here, I've always, I've served, and you've never. And he was home. And the father says to him, everything I have is yours. The older brother must be in home as well. The older brother missed out on a relationship because of self-righteousness. The younger son missed out because of rebellion. But we become tone deaf to the voice of love. We become tone deaf to the culture of the household of heaven. And we miss out on such incredible beauty. We miss out on such incredible security. We miss out on identity. Because we've bought into this lie that we have to try and try and try and harder and more and faster and harder. And how do I get there? And I always feel like I'm short. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes this, this evening. I'm going to do this real quick and then I'm going to pray for you. But if there's somebody here, you have not taken that first step of acknowledging Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'd love to pray for you. It's a simple thing. Your father wants you home. And the father is calling sons and daughters home. If that's you tonight, I just want to ask you to slip up your hand. I want to pray for you right where you stand, if that's you. You're just saying, you know what, I, I want to have that moment. I want to come to my senses and I want to understand that I need to be home with my father. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? If there's nobody, that's fine. For the rest of you, friends, just receive freedom and liberty this evening. Receive the liberty of being home. Receive the liberty of being home. 
Receive the liberty of being a favored son. Receive the liberty of being a favored daughter. I know God is highlighting the ladies here tonight. There's a greeting in Zulu that goes like this, Bayeti. And it, and it means this, I see you. And the greeting back is also Bayeti. And sometimes they say Bayeti in Kosi if they're greeting somebody that's more senior than them. And so Bayeti means this, I see you. And Bayeti in Kosi means I see you too, Lord. And I feel like there's some ladies here that feel like God doesn't see you. I want to tell you, God wants to speak over you tonight. I see you. I see you. I see you in the crowd. There's four or 500 people here on a Sunday morning, I guess. And you feel like you lost. And I want to tell you, your heavenly Father sees you. And the response that he requires from you is for you to lift your eyes and say, I see you too, Lord. Just receive that. You are the apple of his eye. You catch his eye. When he glances across a room, just receive that. When he glances across a room, his eye stops on you. It's like, that's my girl. That's it. That's it. Just receive. Just receive. Just receive. Just receive. Blue's an amazing child. Blaze is a wild man. I should have given him a calm name like Fred or Harry or something like that because I feel like you've got to live up to Blaze every split second of the day. You know, he'll do some crazy thing. He'll do some wild thing. And like I said, uh, you know, most of the time it's just laughing or joking, but I'll yell at him like, Blaze, what in the world, boy, what are you doing? And Blue will say this to me, Dad, why are you yelling at him? You're the same person. It's the greatest compliment I ever receive. That my son represents me well. Let me tell you men, that's what we call to. We called to represent our heavenly Father well. Now, I used a kind of a negative example there, but in the positive. When, G when David writes this thing, he writes, "The Lord is my shepherd." 
There's an exclamation point there. And what he's saying is this, the Lord is my shepherd. Like if there was a shepherd lottery, I won. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd. We won the father lottery. My heavenly father, as much as I try and parent my boys well, I know this, I'm an imperfect father in partnership with a perfect father. I'm imperfect. I do my best. I love my boys. Not a single thing I wouldn't do for them. I'm an imperfect father, but I'm in partnership with a perfect father. But I have to be in partnership with a perfect father. My dad was a wild, violent, brutal man for 70 years, a complete savage for 70 years of his life. And in the early days of me having kids, that was the word of my heavenly father to me. You can be like your earthly father, or you can be like your heavenly father. And that's why the gospel comes in and the gospel breaks the yoke. The gospel breaks the chain. See, I don't have to be like my father said I was. My father's word that my father used to call me was a cuss word that I can't say. when I got saved at the age of 25, the voice of my heavenly father became louder in in my ears than the voice of my earthly father. And I didn't have to be what my father said I was. And I didn't have to be what my teachers said I was. And I didn't have to be what my instructors said I was in the military. Suddenly at the age of 25, there was a different voice speaking a different identity over me. And this voice is the one that calls those things that are not as though they are. And so when that voice speaks over me and says, this is who I want you to be, this is what I want you to be, he's in partnership with me to make it so. And what I have to do is yield, hear that voice and yield to it. Why don't you just lift your hands, men? Just lift your hands. Father, would you speak over your sons now in Jesus' name? You speak over your sons now in Jesus' name. Would you cause them, Lord, to be the fathers, to be the husbands, to be the sons, to be the brothers, to be the friends that represent you well? Would you lift them and stir them, Lord? Would you speak to them and adjust them and shape them and challenge them? You said in response to a question from the Pharisees, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God, may that be somewhat, some little bit, may that be true of us. May we at some point in our lives be able to say, if you've seen me, you have to have least had seen something of the Father. Do it in us, Father, by your Holy Spirit. Put your hands down real quick.
I've been married for 26 years, I think. How close was I? I was good, okay. I can can promise you this. Men, in 26 years, I've not prayed one time for God to change Sandy. Not one time. But what I do pray regularly is make me the man that she needs to lead her into healing and wholeness. Make me the man. Change me, Lord, so that I can lead her closer and closer to you. Make me the father, Lord, that these boys need. Change me. Change me. Make me the leader my church needs. Change me. I'm your son, Lord. Speak to me. Shape me. Challenge me. Father, for every man in this room, every man, young and old, I ask, Father, in the freedom of sonship, in the absolute freedom of sonship, would you make us more like you? Would you make us more like you in every one? May we reflect you in every single one of our relationships and our roles, Father. Father, we bless this church. An incredible church. I loved Sandy's word this morning that this church is a treasure. Would you continue to work in and through this church, Father? Such an incredible community. Such life and grace here. And as, as I hand back over to Mark, Father, I want to leave this church with a blessing. I want to bless them, Lord. I want to bless the marriages in this church. I want to bless the finances of this church, but also the finances of the individuals that make this church home. I want to bless the parenting. I want to bless the relationships. I want to bless young and old, single and married. I ask, Father, from this day forward, they walk in an extra measure of your love and your mercy and your grace as sons and daughters of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.